What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? We've got some pretty rad events coming up, and I definitely wanted to jump on here really quick and let you guys know about them. May 15th through May 17th in Sonoma County, California. It's going to be the last chance broadhead shoot. Um, It's a three-day event. Everybody gets in Friday afternoon, Friday evening. You know, we hang out, have a good time. Saturday is going to be absolutely awesome there's a pack race and all kinds of other fun events throughout the entire day and sunday is the actual broadhead shoot itself then following that on june 13th in reno nevada is going to be the deadeye outfitters golf tournament i don't have much to say about it unless you were there last year you already know it's insane I hope to see all you guys there. You can either follow West Coast Archery on Instagram at West Coast Archery Shop, or you can follow Deadeye Outfitters at Deadeye Outfitters to find out more about the events. And I look forward to seeing everybody there. What would you think, as somebody who's crushed YouTube, what do you think it is as far as more these days I feel like people can buy likes people can buy views or or whatever and bots and I mean companies if they do the due diligence they can look through and see what's sourcing views and everything like that what do you what do you think is I mean you could definitely tell when 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 people are buying likes or views for sure Um, for me I think that the secret to any success of any page, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, no, any social media page would be organic following. But you still gotta have them engaged. So I think, you know, in our times, less and less people are engaged. So even when you have an organic following, it's, it's hard to, to keep them captivated and keep them engaged. YouTube's a little bit different because, I mean, we try to sell entertainment. So there's, there's a little bit more value to try, you know, to be able to keep them engaged. I feel like, and you can tell me because you've been involved in it a lot longer than I have, especially with social media, I feel like the engagement in the last year from a following or, you know, fans or whatever has gone down. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that's some sort of new algorithm that, and I'm assuming you're referring to like Instagram or even YouTube and for us as well. I'm not sure how many people or how many of our followers our content's getting in front of right now with that particular algorithm i'm not i'm not privy to those algorithms i'm not smart <laughs> enough to come up with whatever that is I mean, how to compute yeah <laughs> like our goal is just to just put out a you know a lot of great content and you know sometimes it works and you know sometimes it doesn't so i mean I, and i know that we kind of just dove in so why don't you best introduce, way. The best I know, way right? So why don't you introduce yourself? We kind of had like a real good 15, 20 minute conversation yeah. before I smashed record. Yeah. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell people who you are? So uh, my name is Jason Price. I'm from Texas. Um, myself, along with uh, a couple other guys in the industry, Dan Catlin, Dallas Haymeyer, uh, 
uh, started the experience and uh, it's evolved uh, into what it is today with my, my partner and really good friend uh, Dan Catlin and, and our newest member to the team TJ Sanchez which is another one of my great friends but you know that's uh, that's in a nutshell who I am or you know, what I do and it's um, so you're it's from pretty Texas cool. yeah did you grow up in Texas I did I'm still growing up in Texas still growing up in yeah. Texas still trying yeah. to be a kid where about East Texas. Northeast Texas. Northeast Texas. Um, yeah, and I know you're familiar with some of that area yeah. with some of your past podcasts, but um, you know, you grow up there and whitetail's kind of the common thing and squirrels and rabbits. But um, So you're a lifetime hunter? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have anyone in my family that hunts. So, you know, there's like my son started hunting when he was six years old and he knew about hunting when he was, you know, he would roar like a lion when he was two. <laughs> so, I mean, he was just, you know, consumed with it because he lived with it. But, you know, I didn't have anyone in my immediate family that hunted. Uh, my uncle did, which he was more of an extremist, uh, kind of off the grid type guy. So he was the one I latched onto. And I had a group of like childhood friends that I hunted with. Um, good friend of mine, Casey Cross and Roy Stovall that we just, we hunted all over like East Texas. And, you know, eventually that evolved into South Texas and then South Texas evolved into you know, New Mexico for me elk hunting and then New Mexico, I was like, wow, there's a lot of other stuff out here besides whitetail, and then, you know, now it's kind of got into western hunting. Yeah, just a little just bit. hunting, man. I yeah. care less where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, like mule closer deer to home, and, the better. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it just evolved, and, and how really cool. during that time, what was it like for your growing passion and love for the outdoors? Again, I mean, I think that evolves as well, just because, I mean, I was, I lived in a small town in, in East Texas, like I said, and, you know, I was d definitely inundated with a lot of whitetail hunting and a lot of whitetail opportunities, but, you know, I was almost, I mean, to use an uneducated word, I was almost stupid to what there was out there, you know, other hunting opportunities. I mean, you guys, like, out west, I mean, with the mule deer and the elk, and, I mean, we have that in West Texas as well, but, I mean, that's almost completely two other states if you go from East Texas to West Texas. So I just I just didn't know about that other stuff, but as I started learning about yeah, yeah, as I started learning about it, I, I think that fire just started building and and uh, maybe in a little different way and and if you look back on it now, it's kind of crazy how, you know, we've called our platform the experience, but you know, it, that was always what was so cool to me about hunting was was the experience of it was meeting different people and and uh, hunting different animals and that that was the coolest part about it and ironically it's come full circle and now we have a show called the experience right and i mean i remember way back for me when i first found the experience and got to see what you guys were doing and putting it together like i remember the first time i saw it i was like i get that i get the experience yeah and that's what we hope it's we hope it's relatable i mean like but everyone wants to be insta-famous now, or you know, they, they want all the attention to be drawn towards them. And, 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 and there's there's some very there's some very good hunters, you know, in this room. We're here at Wild Sheep Foundation. There's some very worthy hunters that you know can, that attention can be drawn to them. Um, you know, I don't think I'm personally in that category, uh, but I think I have a platform that, that fits a lot of hunters and, and is relatable to a lot of hunters. So um, I just think that for me personally, if, if I can grow something like the experience where it's so broad and, and so many different, I mean, it could be your experience. I mean, it could yeah. be whoever's experience, whoever's walking around these halls and, and how they relate to seeing someone else's experience. And I think the entertainment value in that is, is far greater than what an individual can accomplish. Yeah. Well, for me this year when I was up in BC, uh, 
we were doing a stone sheep hunt and I was talking with the outfitters and the owner of the outfit and they were like what we do here I mean yeah obviously we're selling sheep hunts but they had you know moose hunts and elk hunts and all these other hunts and they were like yeah they're expensive but you're not paying to go kill the elk you're not paying for a trophy elk you're paying for the experience you're flying in on a bush plane you're riding around on horseback yeah. it's all about the experience yeah. And, you know, and, and the trophy, you know, getting the trophy at the end of the hunt is obviously the culmination of the experience. But, but for us, it, it goes much further than that. And for us to try to film the experience, it's really an unattainable goal. I mean, you've done a lot of filming. You're, you're an incredible photographer. But you just... Uh, I appreciate Yeah, you that. can't... You're not going to be able to capture the whole experience of anything on, on film. And, and we try. Yeah. Um, but I just I think that's something that's unattainable because those experiences go beyond the mountains. Um, you know, they're the relationship you and I have gotten here. Uh, they're the relationship that you might have gotten with certain guides somewhere, and yeah. you end up being friends with them for the rest of your life. It's yeah. the planning and the preparation before the hunt. You know, that those things are really hard to, to get on camera and, and to condense enough to where it stays entertaining. But, um, you know, having that animal at the end, I mean, that's something we all visualize on every hunt before we go on. It's like, oh, man, I just can't wait to get my hands on that ram or, yeah. you know, that, that ibex. Or, I, I think we have that perception kind of maybe ingrained in our mind. But um, what I try to do on my personal hunts is just step back and focus on, on the entire experience. Yeah. The bush planes, the people, the cultures, the food, um, the pain, yeah. the struggle. Well, and you were telling me failure. this year, like, you've gotten to go to some pretty... There was one restaurant you went to, you said, where the power went out like two or three times. Yeah, you know, that doesn't happen in the States too often. Um, but, I mean, like it's the power goes out. dime of a restaurant. Yeah, we're in, uh, I mean, I think it's one of the better ones, actually. Uh, we're in the middle of Pakistan, a small town called Gilgit. Um, you almost can't get to Gilgit from anywhere other than Islamabad. And if you're flying, the flights are conditional on weather and it's a lot of driving. I mean, we were lucky on the first part, so we got a... It was a 45-minute flight or an 18-hour drive, and uh, we were lucky to get on the flight going in, but unlucky on the way getting coming out. But we actually ate at that restaurant going in and on the way back. Uh, I'm not 100% sure why we did that, considering my camera guy Sawyer got food poisoning the first time. But uh, you know, we just don't—we're not very smart. He's we didn't learn the a lesson. Though. Yeah, never, so never we stayed away the from the chicken the second time. Yeah. But yeah, the power goes off, and like. We look around like, you know, what happened? But everyone else just continues to eat because it's just a normal occurrence. See? For them, it does, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, so, um, but weird places, uh, the cultures there, the people there. For Westerners, really cool. it's kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, you kind of step okay back and you're like, here? oh, what's, you know, what's the deal? But um, they use a lot of, like, water hydraulic power there, so it, it's conditional on that. And it's, uh, it's a different world. Yeah. It's a different world over there. We should be super thankful for the things that we have here. Right. Well, it's something that I really like that you brought up a few minutes ago was <clears throat> the necessity and need that a lot of hunters have and a lot of people have for the insta-famous, not the organic growth. Right. You know, and, and I appreciate organic growth more than anything. I've, that's my preferable, you know, is just organic. No, and I think it's best. I think there's models out there that yeah. work the other way. I mean, Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm not definitely not knocking someone that's, yeah. that's marketing their, their platform and growing it. And, and we try to market ours as well. I mean, yeah. you know, I, well, I, in a business, you have to. Right. And, and a ton of my of marketing's here, you know, at the conventions yeah. and just, you know, meeting people and, you know, introducing myself to them, you know, Networking. and telling them what we do. And that, that's that's our, our form of marketing. But yeah, I think if the focus is ever really on an individual, it's, you're missing so much of the experience. Right. Well, there's so many more people involved than just one individual, obviously. For sure. You know, and 
Also, something that you pointed out was there's so many, like, in this room that we're at right now, there's so many uh, epic and amazing hunters and adventurers and people getting it done. For sure. Guides that maybe they're not pulling the trigger, but they're doing insane amounts of work every single year. And they're not, they're the most legendary people that have the most legendary stories. And they have, you know, when it comes to social media or something like that, they 500 people know. Yeah, they get very little recognition, but they they also have an incredible platform to to influence a lot of people. And and I don't mean influence them from a social media standpoint. I mean influence them when you're on the mountains, when you get to meet them. And outside of whitetail hunting, uh, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, you know, I, I, I'll go ahead and admit it today. I'm, I've, I don't know that I've shot very many animals that I didn't have someone be a key part in me being successful in, in, in taking those animals. Um, you know, a lot of the places I go, it's illegal to go without a guide. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of guys knock it because it's not DIY and, and that's their right to do so. I'm, you know, I'm an equal opportunity hunter. Right. Um, well, but so. also in a sense though, and, and I try to, I don't want to say I try to battle for this, but DIY too, you know, and, and, I, and I'll relate this to a guy who grabs a governor's tag or something sure. like that or needs to hire yeah. a guide. Like you're going out of the country or you're going to a place, you don't have the time, you don't have the ability, but the rest of your life you've done well enough, you've done it yourself and you've done it well enough that you can afford that experience to have someone else out there doing it. Yeah, I mean, I mean it doesn't matter whether you're hunting or it doesn't matter what you're doing if there's an opportunity to to bring someone on your side yeah and that's knowledgeable of that animal mm-hmm. look I, I can look at hundreds of sheep you know I could look at hundreds of ibex but I don't live there you know I'm not seeing them every day I can't see their habits or their patterns I'm, you know I can put all this information that I've learned over these years and kind of put it together and yeah. you know make some guesses but it it's, it's not a shortcut, but it's definitely where you're you're taking advantage of opportunities of someone else's knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're almost crazy not to do it. Now, I'm not saying that it's not cool to go out and do one yourself, because it is. Yeah. I mean, that's super awesome. I mean, I can't imagine the feeling that I would have if I go out and, you know, find my own one, you know, 80 bighorn or 220-inch right. mule deer. I mean, that would be awesome. Yeah. But, you know, I just don't live there. Um, and I don't have the knowledge of the animals enough to, to be able to do that on my own. Judging horn, in my experience this year, you know, and super limited, super, super green for myself, you know, extremely still. You know, and we're on the ninth sheep hunt of this year, my ninth sheep hunt of my lifetime. Right. And we're looking for a specific ram, you know, 170 or better. And I've seen five 170 rams hit the dirt at this point. And looking, 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 tracking, tracking, tracking. I looked at a ram and I was like, no, not the ram that we're looking for, right? And I was telling you this earlier. Mm-hmm. And to my, you know, I go, I go back to that ram and I get back on him and I start to convince myself sure. that this ram is way bigger than I originally thought yeah and I start to believe my own judgment which is completely 
not correct. Yeah. You know, and then I get humbled, you know, obviously yeah. Jake gets on yeah, it. Yeah, but you Jake's got a guy like, like Jake that sees all those rams. Yeah. Okay, and I mean, I've gotten to be, you know, I've had the opportunity to hunt on a lot of sheep hunts as well, but nothing compared to him. Yeah. So Jake and I are standing side by side. I call a ram 162 and he calls it 158. Yeah. Listen, we all need to agree with Jake. Yeah. You know, that's right. just that's just the way it is. He's, he sees a ton of those rams. That's not yeah. saying he's not going to always, he's not always going to get them right. I mean. Yeah. A lot but of times I think that it's that phenomenal. happens for yeah. anybody. It does. You know? I mean, like whitetail, I, I could tell you, you know, within a few inches of what a whitetail is going to be. But, like, when it comes to a sheep, especially when you got, you know, someone that's got the extensive knowledge of Jake or like Brendan Burns or, you know, some of those guys that just see a ton of sheep and, you know. They know the deal. They know. Yeah. You know, and, and more importantly, like, they know what the size of those particular areas have. You know the bases. You know it, it would be easy for me to misjudge a base by one inch. Yeah. Well, they kind of know what those bases are already. This because, area holds a 15-inch right. base. That's right. So you know that kind of knowledge is invaluable on any hunt. Uh, and like I said, most of the hunts I go on, it's illegal to do it without a guide. Um, you know, some of those countries I go to, there's a ton of ibex, and you know I could probably do it. You know, okay. Um, but you know, it's still it's illegal to do so. Yeah. So. And this is another thing that we were talking about a little bit earlier. You don't tape animals you take. No. Not into it. Well, no, it's not that I'm not into it because, like, for sheep I do just because I'm trying to learn about it. Because you want to know. Yeah, I want to say, okay, I saw this sheep. It looked like it was, you know, it had a 16-inch base and ended up being 15. Or, you know, what yeah. did I see or what was different? Or, you know, I thought it was, you know, this length and it ended up being that. Finding the variables yeah, in the Yeah, what, what did I see on that? So. Um, and, and that's really, you know, growing up hunting whitetails, that's how I learned. You yeah. know, I would measure whitetails and then, you know, on the hoof you could tell, oh, that, you know, that whitetail's 165 or that whitetail's 150. Uh, and then I could just uh, adjust that based off of where I was in the country. If up, up north the bodies are bigger, so, you know, I just had a plus five rule. Yeah. You know, so if I looked at the deer and I thought, oh, you know, in South Texas that looks like a 160, well, that body and that head's bigger up north, so I'm going to call it a 165. Really? Just because, yeah, I would just throw it off just a little bit, but that's like... Well, because you add a bigger body to an animal and it makes a whole Changes everything. Yeah, changes everything. Yeah. So, um, and it's like skyline sheep. Like, I could misjudge a sheep being skyline, like, so quick. <laughs> For some reason, those things, they're so majestic, and, and yeah. I get so excited about seeing them anyway. But Heart they look huge when they're chest. skyline. Yeah. So, like, do, uh, you know, I'm probably not the right guy to be making calls on skyline. Skyline sheep. Right. Same thing with mule deer running away from you or whitetail running away from you. And, you know, ibex is the same way. I mean, ibex running away from me, those, especially the ones that kind of flare out, I mean, they just look long. Well, I've had, I mean, same mule deer running away from yeah. me in Utah. I've had mule deer running away from me. They're 25, and yeah. I've looked at it and been like, that's 30. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then it's not a 30. I know, and it's just crazy. Five so, inches short. And, and, and going to sheep hunting or ibex hunting, you know, you get a lot of different looks at them, a lot of different angles for guys that are patient. So, I mean, you guys at Kika study the sheep probably better than most. So, um, and that's a good resource to have. I mean, it's an unbelievable resource to have Jake to, to kind of bounce those scores off yeah. of. You know, I think this is a, you know, a 168 Ram and ends up being, you know, Jake's like, no, it's 158. When you but, look at his outdoor yeah, life article, yeah. 100 Rams. I know. So, yeah, I mean, you just, so it doesn't matter who you are. You could always use that help. You know, I mean, if you're doing a DIY, DIY hunt, uh, you, you're going to enlist friends. You know, they may know a little bit more about the area than you. I mean, the difference comes down to, you know, who you're paying, I guess, sometimes. Right. So there's, there's a little bit of a knock on that. But, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the situation with the best opportunity to succeed. Yeah. Um, 
you know, you could turn that argument around on a lot of people and say, you know, why did you buy the best bow? Or why did you buy the best rifle? Or why did you buy the best hunting gear? Or, you know, you're giving yourself the best opportunity. So, I, you know, if, if I'm lucky enough to draw one of those tags, yeah. you know, um, I'm definitely going to be trying to enlist the best people I can to, yeah. to help me increase my chance of success. But more importantly, you know, I want to try to shoot the oldest, biggest ram or goat or deer out there. Yeah. Well, you brought up archery equipment. So I go down to my, my local archery shop, West Coast Archery Shop in Petaluma, California. And the biggest thing that they have always instilled in me way back when they opened, and they've been open for like 10 years, the biggest thing that they've ever instilled in me is you don't have to buy the best bow that's like, you know, the $1,500 bow. You can get the $600 bow because it shoots better for you in your hand. Absolutely. Than the $1,500 yeah. bow or the $1,000 bow or the $1,200 yeah. bow. You know, so yeah. it doesn't always have to be right. the and top I'm sure, of the line equipment. Right, and your guiding experience, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, if someone asks you which gun to bring, I mean, usually my most common answer is the one you shoot the best. Yeah. Uh, or someone asks, you know, what kind of shape do you have to be in? Be in the best possible shape you can be in. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's relatable to bows as well. I mean, whichever one that you're most comfortable with, I mean, that's like going out and buying a new pair of boots like the week before you leave. I mean, don't go get a new gun the week before you leave. and Don't, <laughs> don't go get new <laughs> new archery equipment the week before you leave. I mean, That's a bad idea. Yeah, find something that you're comfortable with, that you're good at, and that, that, that you're confident with, and, yeah. and, and use that. And that's the biggest part, man, is confidence. Oh, in, mental in is everything to using. hunting. Yeah. I mean, man, the physical ability definitely helps in, in some of those strenuous mountain hunts but but I'm there's been times that I've hit the wall and just mentally I wouldn't let myself quit so yeah mental the mental your mental capacity trumps your physical capacity right. every day of the week so for physical fitness do you are you like a do you find yourself being a guy who trains before you go on hunts and like do you jump into all that kind of stuff so or you just kind of go no I train year around you do um yeah, my, mine's a little bit different. Um, a lot of the places I go are long durations. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be mountain house or terrible food. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever tried Peak Refuel? I have not. I've heard great things about it. I'm gonna get you Peak okay. Refuel yeah. before we Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's my my hardest problem is weight fluctuations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I body think it, weight. Yeah, I think it's cool when people book a sheep hunt or a, you know a goat hunt and. You know, it inspires them to, to start working out harder to get prepared for that hunt. I'm all, I always try to be prepared. Yeah. Uh, my my way of doing it, I wouldn't recommend for very many people, just because I'll lose a ton of weight on the hunt. So, like a couple weeks before the hunt, I'm actually trying to put on bulk. as much fat as I possibly can. Yeah. Uh, not muscle. Muscle is a killer in the mountains. Just bulk, man. Yeah, I just, just try getting to, it on there. I just try to get as much as possible. My average on these mountain hunts, I'll lose 10 to 12 pounds. Uh, I mean, I weigh 175 pounds normally, mm-hmm. um, and that's a big transition for someone. I mean, that's, you know. And especially in a short period of it time. It is, and, and, and that's probably the hardest thing on my body is, is the fluctuating back and forth, you know, and you do a couple back-to-back, like this last fall, where, you know, I packed everything back-to-back. Of course, there was a couple of them that were not physical hunts, but. Do you have a caloric intake that you try to No, not meet? really. You're not really um, into that, just whatever fills you up. Yeah, I just. Again, I mean, it goes back to me just not being very smart about all that stuff. I, it, I, don't, I don't pay attention yeah, to it. Yeah, if so, I, I eat mean, something that I'm makes asking. me feel bad, I don't eat it anymore, except for the Pakistani deal we did. And, you know, <laughs> that wasn't too smart. But um, no, I, I, I don't, I'm not too picky about that. I, my biggest probably uh, bad habit is I love Dr. Peppers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
sneaking those in my pack. I do Sprite and yeah. lemonade mixed together. It's like my favorite drink. On yeah, the planet. I've been to places where I thought that I could get maybe a hundred dollars for like a bag of Mountain House. Mm-hmm. So like selling it to the other hunters because they didn't bring them. So really, because <laughs> the food's just so yeah. bad. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I just I don't put a whole lot into that. You know, as I get older, it probably needs to be something I focus a little bit more on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do a ton of cardio, which is crazy. Um, I just, you know, the when I lift weights and I do high intensity, just not very much rest, not CrossFit, but you know, kind of yeah. like a meld between a, a CrossFit and just weightlifting. Um, the best that you can come up with for what you think conditions will be like for hunting. Yeah, and I mean, so I've learned um, the hard way that I can't emulate the mountains where I live. Yeah. I mean, I live at 300 feet elevation, and a lot of these places, In Texas. That, yeah, that I hunt is it's <laughs> 10,000 to 17,000 feet. I mean, yeah. you just. I've learned, I've tried that mask, that oxygen deprivation mask. I tried that. I mean, they don't I, work. No. I've done it. Before. Yeah, and I would do My 30 minutes. made fun of me. Yeah, he was I, like, you can't use those. They're yeah. not real. No, and everyone made fun of me in the gym. I mean, yeah. I look like a Bane off Batman. Yeah, Bane, for yeah. sure. So uh, I didn't... Uh, <laughs> I just, I think that's, I used that right before my uh, Tajikistan trip, and I ended up hunting at like 16 or 17,000, almost 17,000 feet. And what were you hunting out there? Marco Polo and Ibex, and I was, I was literally, we're just going to say I was 17,000 feet, so I shot the ram at 16,996 feet. So I just took the more, four more feet in altitude just so I could say I was at 17,000 feet. Yeah. But, um, why not? Yeah, so like, I don't know if everyone does this. I definitely do this on mountain hunts. So I'll pick, like when I'm climbing, I'll pick places like out in front of where I'm going to stop and, you know, rest. So like on a normal route. Yeah. So on a normal mountain hunt, you know, I could go a long ways and, you know, just stop or just go all day. Yeah. Well, in Tajikistan, I would, I would get tickled at myself and actually laughing at myself as I'm climbing because my increments were like 10 or 15 feet. Uh-huh. And I was just like, oh, let's, let me get 10 more feet and you know catch my breath because the air was just so thin for me. Yeah. So like the whole time I was like, you know, laughing at myself and cussing that oxygen deprivation mask up. So. I mean, the highest I've been is in the White Mountains, you know, 13,000, yeah. base camp is 12 and a half yeah. thousand feet. And that air is pretty thin. When, it's you, when you acclimate, it kind of works out. I mean, obviously, I'd started getting sausage yeah. fingers after right. eight days, you know, and like. Yeah, so like the mer- the medical marvel to all of that is the guys on Everest are using um, uh, a, a pill called Diamox, and it is a game changer for altitude hunting. Really? Um, and again, I'm, I'm not prescribing this to your listeners, Yeah. Uh, but talk to your doctor about it. It's used for, um, I want to say that it's used for um, maybe blood pressure or or something like that, but it, it controls the swelling of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take, I think it comes in like 250 milligram, some, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, yeah. but anyway, you can get it. I usually take it in the half the dosages. I'll take half in the morning, half at night. Um, it's not gonna help me as far as my lung capacity, because I mean, that's Nothing where blood cells, and, yeah. yeah. So, but it's, and with you know, with the exception of going like, spin your, spin your blood, you know, I don't want an asterisk next to my super slam. Yeah. He spinned his blood like Lance Armstrong or something. Yeah. But uh, the Dymox is definitely a game changer for mountain hunts. Uh, I would recommend it for anyone over 10,000 feet, again. I'm not a doctor, so talk to your doctor about that. But, uh, you know, there's hape and haste. Uh, I mean, elk hunters in North America, get, I had a friend get, get it um, in North America on the elk hunt. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he simply takes Dymox that he avoids all that, and he gets to continue to do his hunt. Yeah. Um, big game changer. Yeah. And I, I, took, I don't know how long the guys on Everest have been doing it, 
Uh, you know, another little trick to that is, is it's almost like funny is Viagra does the same thing. Really? Yeah. Uh, so some of the guys are using Walk that around for with Tajikistan. For well, days. I think it's a different. <laughs> I think maybe it has a different effect on you at altitude. I'm oh, assuming. Okay. So it might. I, but it has something to do with your brain swelling and not your other part swelling. So, uh, uh -huh. but yeah, I, I, I've heard like medical studies of that being uh, really useful for mountain hunts. I used uh, wilderness athletes altitude advantage yep. this year yep. and I took a lot of times. Yeah. Every day I wake up, I take four yeah. times. The Dime Mox will be a way better. It's over. Really? You just drink a lot of water and stay hydrated. Staying hydrated is huge yeah. at altitude. Yeah. Oh yeah. You and know? you'll feel like if uh, if you're taking it for you know long periods of time, you'll start feeling tingling in your hands or something like that. Yeah. But, but it's um, it's a difference maker. I mean, I, I would have it. Hanging? I feel nah, like that. you're good. Man. Okay, thanks. But um, and unfortunately, this is just a podcast. You can't get the visual <laughs> of that frosted plate hanging out of your nose. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I would definitely take it. And as a guide, man, I'd probably have it in my pack all the time, just because. You um, never know who might need it. No, and and. Again, if somebody's got, you know, experiencing hay for hay, so I'd get them off the mountain as quick as possible. Yeah. But it's definitely something that I would recommend to, to anyone going on a mountain hunt. Just talk to your doctor, you know, tell them what you're doing, and, and they're going to know the benefits of it. How many places have you hunted around the world? No idea. That many? No, I, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I mean, I know that you're extremely humble, but we're going to try to dig <laughs> no, some I, of this humble <laughs> shit out of you. Yeah, I, I um, Honestly, I've never thought about it. My son has this big poster in his room. It's the of map the of the world. And it's all the pins. And I put the pins been. where I go. And, um, you know, I've been really lucky um, yeah. to, to go to a lot of these different places. I've been I've been so, so lucky. And if you're, like, pulling out the phone to look at all the places I've gone, like, on films to, like, no, 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 throw no, it no. in my face. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. No, but I, I've been extremely lucky to go to all, all the places I have. Um, there's, there's a few more that I really want to go to. Uh -huh. uh, I haven't been to Russia. Uh, hopefully, I can Russia do that. Russia just looks amazing. I want to do the snow sheet. I want to do both tur. Uh -huh. uh, that's th those are kind of on the list, uh, and then I still want to do the blue sheet. Um, uh -huh. You can do that in Nepal and Pakistan. I'm probably just going to do it in Nepal uh, next year with uh, one of my good friends, Khan, and, and a guy named Mark's coming along with me. Everybody uh, knows Khan. Yeah, I mean he's just he's super connected over there. He's been he's been great to me. Puts down legendary. Yeah. <laughs> Those uh those high tower gollies are like, you know, when you're hunting sheep in North America, those things look almost like alien. They're so big. Yeah. But I've I've been super fortunate to hunt a lot of different countries. So I I went over to my buddy Mike's house. Yeah. I did a podcast with him earlier this year. Yeah. I mean, Mike has a world slam. Uh -huh. I mean, obviously. Right. And no, none of you guys listening can see this map. It's but, pretty much covered with pins in North America. Like you, you can't see anything, and there's some all through. And Asia, there's one in Russia. Europe and Russia. Yeah. Uh, Just. Yeah. I'd Epic. say he's got me beat. Well, he, he's a oh, big wow. time hunter. Wow, those are cool. Yeah. Nice Marco Polo. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Turs, Marco Polos. Wow. But, Ibex. Cool. Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, good thing we couldn't see that part. That was awkward. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, when I look at someone's collection of pins because I, I have a collection of pins but my pins are the western united states yeah. and i have one in bc now which is really exciting i know it's so cool it's so you know what i mean so it's i can look at that and i can appreciate the hours travel yeah. and the effort and the time and everything that goes into that the experience yeah. of the entire adventure for each pin yeah you know what i mean and it's 
Yeah, it's almost like taxidermy in a sense. You know, you look at it the really animal and you is. relive the hunt. But uh, the pins are the same way. And I mean, I do it with my son almost as a geography lesson. You know, he just, he, he knows, you know, where I've hunted those animals and knows what type of animals are there. And yeah. I mean, I don't think it's normal for a nine-year-old to be able to tell the difference to some of the markhors and, you know, the value of those markhors and, you know, why people are hunting them and know the difference between a Marco Polo and a doll sheep. And I mean, I didn't know that when I was nine. No. I mean, I still I can't tell you the difference in some of the Ibex in Spain. So I think I mean, <laughs> maybe I knew the difference between a blacktail and a yeah, deer. Yeah, I, I might have. Yeah. Yeah. I still think a coos deer is, a, you know, a Texas whitetail. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, for you coming from a family where your dad dad didn't hunt, your family, your immediate family wasn't big time hunters. Your uncle, you said, was a hunter. Yeah. And now for you having your own family, what is it like getting to? experience the hunt with your son uh, I can we were looking at pictures before I know and I, you were getting really excited no about and it. I yeah, I would rather show someone those photos than my own yeah. um, I mean I probably talk about the hunts that he goes on more than I do my own uh-huh. it, it's almost weird we I have this like disconnect a little bit from I, I try to keep my hunting life separated from my family life mm-hmm. so I don't do a ton of talking about it like to them outside of my son and you know that's something that we have in common he loves I I was able to take my daughter when she was 11 to Africa which was one of the coolest trips I've ever been on just to see her excited I mean she doesn't it's not that she's like she really likes hunting she just likes traveling she likes being out there she likes being with me and you know that was really cool but uh, when it comes to my son it's just a little different I think just because that's a little me you know And, and and I want my passion for hunting to to show and, and, and it like spark a fire in him, and, and it definitely has. Uh, he's not much on the cameras. He doesn't. He does not like those. Yeah. Um, you Sawyer, got some great photos yeah, of him. Yeah, and Sawyer's steep yeah, stuff, Sawyer's really good with him on, on keeping him on camera, just because I know that some point in his life he's going to be like super appreciative that we filmed those hunts. Yeah. You know, I would love to have that kind of stuff from when I was you know 10, 11 years old and didn't know anything. Right. You know, so. Uh, but definitely, I mean, people told me, you know, when they took me hunting, oh, man, it's so much more fun watching you, you know, experiencing the hunt with you. And I'm like, you're crazy. There's nothing better than, you know, hunting for yourself. And, yeah. But, uh, and you, you touched on it before. When I pull the trigger, I'm a small part of the, of the experience. I'm a small part of the process. I mean, typically there was a guide that helped me get there. Like, uh, and, and, and international hunts is someone that helped me get to an area that I was co- completely unfamiliar with. On domestic sheep hunts, Man, and I'm sure you've experienced it. When you, when you got a good guide and a good client, man, you almost feed off of each other. You know, there's days that suck. There's days that are hard. And, you know, and I, I call it day three on any sheep hunt. That's kind of the, <laughs> most people are going to quit on day one through three. Yeah. If you make it after, you know, day three, you got somebody that's pretty serious about it. Uh, well, that's something that Jason Harrison said, too. It was like three days. Oh, yeah. Three days will define you. And, and, and it does. And yeah. it really does. And, I mean, but even as a guide yourself or, you know, as a hunter that gets to do, you know, all these hunts, I mean, I still have that three-day hump. Yeah. You know, I, I, still have, I still have to grind stuff out. You yeah. have to grind stuff out. But when, when you have that, it's almost, without sounding corny, it's magical. Yeah. You know, when you have that where you're feeding off of each other, where you're having a bad day, but, you know, I, I'm motivating you. And then the next day I'm having a bad day and you're motivating me. Honestly, when it, like, if I just step away from all the stuff I've gotten to do, those are the coolest hunts yeah. is when it took a team effort to be able to get that hunt. And, and my camera guys included. Yeah. 
I mean, there's a lot of pressure on those guys hiking up to these places with not only that, all the camera heavy, gear. Yeah, how yeah, heavy Yeah, I mean, I know pack, his dude. crap's heavier than mine because, yeah. I mean, I picked up how his How many pack. lenses does he have, yeah. batteries and yeah. everything? And, yeah. and he also has batteries to keep his batteries charged, Oh, yeah, I'm so sure. it's, it's nuts. And, I mean, and they're getting to the top of that mountain just like me. And, like, I pull the trigger on the animal and they don't get the shot. So it, it's a huge group effort. Um, so without selling sounding corny, it's it's almost like it gives me chills when it all comes together because well, it's like oh, and that's I can awesome. relate to that. And you know, we had an experience with a hunter this year. I think it was a hunt went to duration or 10, yeah. 11 days. Archery ram the hunter killed on the on the tenth or eleventh day. I can't remember exactly what day. And I was talking with him yesterday, and I was telling him how paramount his attitude was throughout the entire hunt because he was so positive. And just like, all right, you know, like stayed on it. And well, he quits it, on day three. He's not there on day ten, right? Well, not only that, but what the the magic that yeah. you were talking yeah. about. It was his positivity affecting the entire crew. You know, he yeah. wasn't a negative, better hunter. Or, you right. know what I mean? No. Like, yeah. Just he positive. stayed on it the whole yeah. time and never gave up. And no matter how yeah. mentally tough. The, the problems that we were facing in that hunt were, he stayed in it yeah. the whole time positive. And then we touched on the mental aspect of it earlier and, and, and the positivity. And I'm sure a ton of your listeners are eventually going to, you know, have gone on sheep hunts or will go on sheep hunts. And yeah. I mean, like you said, the most important thing is, you know, be mentally prepared. Don't go into it thinking you're going to get it on day one. Yeah. Uh, you know, think, hey, I'm going to get this on day 10. It's going to be a grind. But your attitude man, your attitude is going to affect the entire hunt. I mean, because if you've got a bad attitude after day three, well, you're not feeding off of each other anymore. You know, now the guide's aggravated because you got a bad attitude, and then you're aggravated because the guide's mad at you. And it, that, just have a good attitude, like you said, that client yeah. did. Day 10, man, I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. You shoot a ram on day 10, <coughs> I mean, you've got my respect. Like, right. That's it. I mean, that's... That's a grunt. That, that's hard to do. <clears throat> Up um, here in your head, that's oh, a grunt, man. Oh, I've, I've found myself a lot of times just praying to be able to take the next step. Even on deer hunts, that's a grunt. Or an elk hunt. Yeah. Day 9, day 10, day yeah. 11, those are like... Yeah. When you're getting there, it gets really difficult inside. And as a hunter, the greatest compliment you can have from the guide is, you know, hey, you know, I couldn't have done this without you. I mean, this... We fed off each other, and, and the hunter the same way. I mean, to this day, I'm telling you, I haven't shot any animals that I didn't have a lot of help to shoot. So, like when I look back at those pins, or I look back at the trophies that I'm fortunate enough to have in my trophy room because of the wildlife gallery. When I look back at that, you know, I'm remembering those people. I'm remembering those people that helped me, those people that pushed me, those people that maybe you know I motivated in some sense of of you know the hunt and and, and how they motivated me. There's just so much more to it than. Than, than that cape that goes on on the styrofoam or the horns that are stuck in you know yeah. the skull. So um, really, there's and, and, and again that's that's why it's the experience for us and it's the experience for everyone. So going back to the experience, when you started, I mean you didn't know much about cameras. You didn't kind of you just knew that you wanted to film. Yeah. So a funny story. So you know I I went to Africa once and then I thought I was a professional. You know I thought I knew everything. Uh, <laughs> You know, similar to like after I went on one sheep hunt, you know, I was all of a sudden a professional and I knew them all, uh, which I was so naive and didn't realize I didn't know anything. At all. But um, so I, growing up, we did a lot of whitetail hunting, like we said, and I filmed a lot of those hunts. Um, I remember calling the Outdoor Channel and like, hey, you know, 
I want to get into filming hunts. What does it cost? And at that time, I mean, it was about half of what it is today. And I mean, it was like, but the guy on the phone was like, but that's only a fraction of it. You know, what these hunts are going to cost you to do, it's really unattainable for, you know, most people. You know, I would really consider doing something different. Or, they're basically like, you have to be a really, really wealthy guy. Yeah, they're really telling it. me, you know, I can't do it. And uh, man, I don't know how you are, but when somebody tells me I can't do something, you know, that's probably the best motivation ever for All me. All day Yeah, long. so um, I'll like, buildings yeah down and I'll i had burn this, buildings down i had this deal called brown down productions that we just had with my <coughs> friends it's hilarious and i mean it's just talking with the whitetail deal but so as i was doing that and kind of the fire was lit into to filming you know wildlife uh, and not even necessarily you know kill shots and stuff like that just filming wildlife um so the progression went there the outdoor channel deal them telling me i couldn't do it i went to africa uh, I was lucky enough to do uh, four of the five big five on one trip, which is like almost unheard of. I had a ton of help doing that. Mm-hmm. One of my best friends, Dr. Menendeo, was instrumental in me being able to even to go over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was trying to film that because that was a great opportunity. I didn't know jack crap about filming. Uh, my cameras were those old uh, three CCD heads. Mm-hmm. I shoot this elephant and you can see the most beautiful picture in the world. 10 seconds after the elephant's on the ground. Really? Yeah, the head's hung up, so all you can see is those old squiggly lines like in Poltergeist. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, this is not starting off well. <laughs> uh, and, and at that time, you know, it was the, the experience was just not even a dream. Yeah. You know, it's just, it was, yeah, this was just a progression of yeah. filming. Yeah. Um, I, I went on a doll sheep hunt. And I'd already filmed some hunts in D.C. with a good friend of mine, uh, Ryan Berard at Sawtooth Outfitters. He has unbelievable mountain goat, uh, mountain lion, lynx. Uh, I was on this kick of trying to get like the cats of the world because I'd done the leopard, the lion, and then the, the, the lynx. I was trying to get a lynx. Archery I'd done the right? bobcat, just any way I could get them. Yeah. Like I, the lynx, I did archery. Um, oh, cool. uh, the, the mountain lion. Uh, uh, the leopard, the the African lion. I just was on this this cat kick. I just I just love those cats. cats. So I'd film those hunts up there with Ryan. Uh, still with this idea, I was doing something. Uh, not 100% sure what it was. <laughs> Honestly, I still think I I think this was at the time That's when so <laughs> when the digital industry was kind of changing from TV. Uh-huh. So there was these platforms, which some of them you see now, like my outdoor channel platform or. Um, and I, and I don't know some of the names, that, but there was a lot of conversation in the industry that, that some of these platforms were coming. So I honestly thought, hey, I'm going to get my content together and I'm going to put it on one of those platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on a doll sheep hunt and I had, again, just the full experience. I mean, I meet this guy named Bob Summers at Dallas Safari Club. I book this doll sheep hunt and I mean, I book it just like everybody else at Was that this time. your first sheep hunt? Yeah. I book it just like everybody else, you know. I just go in, I meet the outfitter, I book him. I, you know, I, I'd gotten references, and and Bob's got these big biceps, and I mean, he was a little intimidating, but I was like, this, you know, this is the best place to go. I grinded it out for like eight and a half, nine days. Ended up getting on the ninth day. Got out of there on the thirteenth because of weather. Walked like eighty or ninety miles. Um, just one of those hunts that that uh, backpacking. Yeah, just Not a I mean, no, just yeah. just. A, just a butt kicker. Yeah. Well, um, and I use the word butt because my son's going to be listening to this podcast. Oh, okay. So I, <laughs> I'll try to remember <laughs> no, that for myself. He, he hears it all the time. Oh, okay. But, uh, but <laughs> um, just one of those butt kicker hunts. But 
the friendship I got with Bob on that hunt, uh, and I mean, he's one of my best friends today. I, I talk to him probably once a week. So the, the friendship that was made because of that hunt and the struggles, you know, and feeding off each other and that magical experience. Again, that sounds corny, but that's what it is. It is. I mean, I it's, get it. it's a, I totally it's get a tingling, it. you know, it's um, even, but goosebump even, experience. Even for guys that are just backpack hunting with them and a buddy, yeah. it's the magical it is. experience and I mean, that you're talking about. Even talking about it now, it's still, you know, that still resonates with I me. I get just, goosebumps yeah, hearing you yeah, say it magically. Just like yesterday. Yeah. So, um, we're sitting there and I'm telling him what I'm doing, you know, because I'm filming it and I mean, these people, man, they believed in me when they shouldn't have believed in me. You know, I mean, they, they should not have believed in this idea because, I mean, I had, did not have an idea. I mean, I just had this, I had camera gear, you know, I wanted to feel cool. This is what it was. Yeah, and then that's all. Like, like showing up, you know, at a camp, you know, and there's other hunters there and I got a camera guy, you know, I just, I wanted to be cool, I guess. No, so I, I had a notion of what it was, but really in the long run, I mean, looking back on it, I didn't have a clue. But so we're talking about, you know, the experience of our hunt and, and, and all of that stuff and I think it was the day we made it back to base camp and and Bob looked at me and he's like man you got to call this the experience and I was like you know no doubt it has to be called the experience so again I still have not told anyone what it is I sent it to an editor this is a new this is a guy that I just used at the very beginning he makes he makes this film, and again, I don't put really very little input into how our films are edited. I just I want someone that's not really related to the hunting industry to do it, and that's kind of my little secret that I'm letting out. But I just I I just want it to be something different. I don't want it to be like the way you and I watched hunting shows growing up. Yeah. I just want it to be something different. Sometimes having that outside eye yeah. is super beneficial. So we edit this film, and. If you go back and watch, it's the doll sheep hunt, the very first one on our channel. If you go back and watch that hunt, count how many times I say the word, the experience. Really? And it's crazy. And was We hadn't even come up with the title yeah. yet. Yeah. I mean, we didn't come up with the title until, you know, we get back to base camp and the guy said, man, you got to call this the experience. And just how many times I say, you know, this is a cool experience. Or, I wonder if that was Josh and you. No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, it was <laughs> because I think it was one of those, like, yeah one of those magical moments for him as it was well. The I mean, experience. We legitimately was, fed off of each other. Well, and, and it's exactly what you're saying, man. That yeah. was the experience. And that film doesn't have like a ton of views. Like I couldn't tell you how many it has. Yeah. But it's um the old stuff never has yeah, a lot. It's really some of the old stuff though is the most the, some of the best too. Content. And we tried to call the old stuff vault films. Uh -huh. So just I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't dilute what we were doing with older films. So we would call them vault films. I have a mountain goat hunt on there that's a vault film that's an awesome hunt. Uh, and the doll sheep that's really the beginning of, of how it all started as far as the first one we put. But um, those are, they're fun to look back on. I, I'm not one of those guys that watches a lot of hunting. Yeah. Uh, but I look back on those and kind of laugh at myself and it's yeah. good comedy. That's so funny. Just because now I realize what I didn't know. And, and I wonder 10 years from now, am I gonna look back on today and realize, you know, what I didn't know right so. isn't it amazing the amount that we continue to learn and I mean so f for me to where I am now the amount in the last seven months that I've learned being a lifetime hunter is insane so I mean I could only imagine from your start to where you are now and I'm I'm sure that well the, I told you season, I knew it all when I went to Africa after right? that first trip to Africa I knew it all Genius. That, that one doll sheep. Yeah. Man, I mean, Wild Sheep was calling to get me be keynote speaker up here. So I was of like, course they were. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> 
No, right? but that's just it. You're gonna learn. I think if you ever get to the point where you know it all, and it goes back to attitude yeah. in, in camp. If you got a hunter shows up that you know knows it all or thinks he knows it all, that's a rough hunt, man. man. That's a hard one. So that's a rough. But hunt. in life as well, I mean, if if you act like you know it all, then you're going to be oblivious to what you don't know, and you're going to. And stop. how are you going to learn more? You're not. Where where is where is the teachable moment? And there, and and for me, it's like that's one of my biggest things. I try to always remember. No way, am I ever going to know it all? Like no way, no, no way. I have to remain teachable. I, I can't ever have an attitude like, oh, I know this and I got this. Because, and the people, you know, post stuff, someone's always outworking you. And, and dude, the yeah. reality for me is that someone is, and I I'm talk, I say I statements in me yeah. because I don't want to project on right. anybody else's experience. It's just mine. The only way that I'm going to continue to grow as a human being spiritually, emotionally, and mentally is to stay teachable. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, I learn stuff in places and from people I never thought that I could or that I, that I would but it's because I keep that door open to stay teaching yeah and, and I, I I adopted this little deal when I was younger and I, and I don't know if I could probably articulate it on audio yeah. but so what I try to do is, is I try to take anytime I have an encounter with someone a friend you know just just someone in passing I try to take what I see as as, as a good quality of theirs, and I try to apply that to my life in some way. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, just, just someone that's super polite, or you know, someone that says yes ma'am or no ma'am, or you know, someone that holds the door open for someone. I just, I try to apply those things that someone else does well. You know, someone that's super organized in business, or you know, and, and I don't mean just hunting. So I try to take a little piece of that person with me and, and make my life better with it, whether it's learning something, whether it's a habit, um, and that's just my little trick of, that I try to do along the way. And how beneficial is that? Ah, uh, it's huge, but it happens in the weirdest places. So <laughs> you show up to these third world countries, and man, I have the best gear that in the world. Yeah. I have the best rifles. I have the best clothing. I have, you know, the best shoes. Um, you know, I've been lucky to be around some of the best people that could tell me about, you know, the animals. And I have the best camera guys, I feel like. And they all the camera equipment. You show up to these places and the first thing I think is, man, these people are going to be super jealous of me. You know, look at all I have. And almost boastful. You know, look at what I have. I can't tell you. So I'll use this lady in, in the middle of Tajikistan. I'm, I'm walking up to this yurt, and this lady's coming out. She's got this huge smile on her face. She asked us to come in to have lunch, and I think that's what she asked. I mean, I, who knows? But the guys told us, yeah, we're going to go eat in there. So she is hooking, uh, she's heating up some um, Marco Polo Ibex meat over there. It's unidentifiable. I mean, you don't know which is which. Yeah. But, uh, and she's, she's heating it up with yak manure. Like just flattened, dried yak well, isn't that how they make a lot of their fires? Yeah. So she's heating that up. This lady is so excited about having us. There is a rug on the on basically the dirt. There's a car battery in the corner with a television and a VCR player with Jackie Chan movies from 1970. <laughs> okay. This lady is over the top excited about me being there. Yeah. Okay. Super excited. And... You know, like I said before, I show up with all this stuff, they're gonna be jealous, they're gonna wanna be like me. I walked out of that lady's door, I wanted to be more like her. Isn't that amazing? I wanted to experience happiness like her. Simply. 
um, you know, I, I think as Americans in general, uh, we put so much happiness on our material things. And I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. Oh, absolutely. But, Myself as well. But um, it's just weird that that lady, she had a Jackie Chan VCR tape. That's all she had and car battery. How, I don't know how in the hell she's going to charge that car battery when it dies. But she was genuinely happy. I show up with all these thousands of dollars of gear and I'm like, you know, it's crazy. That's a pretty simple and, life. And I just, and, and that's, and I used Tajikistan as, as, as the example there, but I mean, Kyrgyzstan, I mean, like sharing a Coke with a guy that doesn't have teeth because you're dying of thirst and, you know, you're just super happy to have that Coke. It's the little things on those hunts. Yeah. Um, and, and the relationships you build with those people when you don't even speak the same, same language. Well, the guides out there are fairly gnarly dudes. <laughs> like durable, Man, weathered I mean, human they make, they, they definitely make me look like a city slicker. Right? Uh, these guys. I think they make anybody from Western civilization I mean, look Pakistan, like for example. I mean, those guys are hunting in flip flops. I mean, I call them flip flops. They're actually sandals, but, and dresses. Yeah. Which, I mean, they climb up and down those mountains like nobody's business. <laughs> well, like, it's not, it doesn't seem humanly possible. But they do it. Like you and I would walk to get a cup of coffee. So, this was it this year where you had to climb up that cliff? Yeah, in, in Pakistan. Um, and I started at 2 o'clock in the morning. And, and again, it goes back to the whole thing that we're talking about. And if a listener takes anything from this conversation, it's number one, don't listen to me on medical advice. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, have a positive attitude. Yeah. And, and number three, being mentally prepared. Because I went into Pakistan, especially on the Himalayan Ibex, not being mentally prepared. Yeah. Um, man, I just maybe probably let my guard down a little. Two days before, I'm leaving from the Blanford Uriel and the Sind Ibex area, going to the, the Himalayan area, which the fact that the word Himalayan didn't, like, scare me was a problem. Again, it goes to my lack of intelligence because, I mean, you fly over these mountains and they're... They're like nothing you've ever Himalayas. seen. Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> I, mean they, I think they have two of the tallest mountain peaks in the world. Yeah. Or maybe three. But um, so I, I don't know what I was thinking, but TJ called me or sent me a text like en route to the Himalayas. Like, man, that's a legit hunt. It's going to be, you know, it's going to kick your butt. And I'm like, what? So I'm like completely blindsided by this hunt's about to kill me. <laughs> yeah. So I get there. Um, I'm with a... Uh, a good friend of mine now, his, 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 he was my guide. His name was Ejaz, and I'm a super, super good hunter, man. The guy does a lot of markhor hunts. Um, just, I mean, the, the knowledge that he has in that Mark area Hoare, is just, beautiful. oh, yeah. But just getting to, like, you know, talk about hunting stories with those kind of guys. I and mean, they do it every day, and, you know, I get to do it, you know, a portion of the year. But they, yeah. it, it, that's so well, cool. Well, and you but, also have a business outside of yeah, the experience. Yeah, so I'm looking up there. He's showing me where this Ibex is, and I'm thinking to myself, I won't say exactly what I'm thinking, but it's it's along the lines of you got to be kidding me, you know. That's where the ibex is. So yeah, and I, you know, I probably had a little a little anxiety about it. I mean, at this point, Sawyer's deathly sick. I mean, he's going to end up going to the hospital the next morning with food poisoning and from and, uh, from, from, from eating at that restaurant and to. dehydration. <laughs> so um, I wake up about 1:30 in the morning. Uh, we start hiking at two o'clock in the morning. No headlamps. We're at 6,000 feet. Now, I don't know why we can't use headlamps, especially when you figure out where we ended up, because there's no way those Ibex were going to see me in that morning, in the morning. But you just start hiking up at, at um, 2 o'clock in the morning at 6,000 elevation and ended up shooting Ibex at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, just a little after 2 o'clock at 14,000 feet. 
and it so was uh, it was sketchy. Twelve um, hours and and eight thousand feet. Yeah, and I probably rested. So I rested two times for about five minutes, mm-hmm. which honestly I'd rather not because those guys are so fast climbing. So like it would kill me. And the they were first... making fun of you the whole way. Well, probably. <laughs> so like for. Like I would rest the five minutes and they say, all right, you ready? And we would take off like, you know, fast. And it would take me a little bit to get back acclimated to my breathing. Cause again, I live at 300 feet. Yeah. So physically I got up there pretty, pretty like surprisingly easily as far as my lung capacity and just my breathing and, and my legs. Um, but mentally I was just scared. You know, I was, I was worried about falling. It was uh, steep. Yeah. I mean, not to not rope steep or, mm-hmm. or cramp cramp on steep, but I mean it's steep, mm-hmm. um, and you can't see. Yeah, you know, and because actually that was out. a benefit for me not to be able to see. But yeah, um, and you know most of the hunt, like I said, we stopped three times, two times for five minutes, one time for about thirty minutes because we got pinned down by an ibex, um, which was nice to kind of stop. But it was so cold and I mean windy, and the snow picked up. So yeah. it ended up being a a real challenge. Um, you know, the camera wasn't there on the hunt. I tried to film the hunt with with my phone and there's a EJAS, benefit to the camera. Yeah, and EJAS, <laughs> yeah, there was in this case. And EJAS was trying to film it with our camera, which he had done. He had done a hunt with Jalen Smith and actually filmed for him on a mark horse. So I, I had confidence in him, but like when the shot ended up taking place, it was like just crazy things going all over the place. Um, Got western. It, it really did. Um, not my finer moment. Uh, I mean, I struggled shooting in Pakistan like all together. Yeah. My Blandford, I ended up shooting at 600 yards, and I know, I mean, the listeners are probably going to bash me for that. Um, you, you got, I, I, my limit is kind of 500. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be 500 and less. Um, and I like 500 and less, 750 if I really have yeah, to, but I, mean, I get it. And I mean, I was at, I the, I was at the really have to place. Like, yeah. I'm not exactly sure. And Blandford Uriel, for your listeners, it's the smallest sheep in the world. Mm-hmm. So. You know, six or 700 yards on that animal. I, I had some thermal issues coming up. Probably not the best shot, but I mean, just, and again, people will probably bash me for not getting closer. Uh, I had 16 people in my hunting party. You know, getting close was, was difficult. Yeah. Uh, and, and these guys are faster than me, yeah. you know, so by the time, you know, I get there, you know, the animal's already been spooked. So I ended up taking a longer shot than I wanted. So. Not my, my not my finer shooting moments, but we ended up getting the job done. Um, the send ibex, I, I made a really good shot on that. I mean, it was a quick. I mean, I probably had a second and a half to to drop and take the shot, and it yeah. was it, that ended up being one of my better ones. So those guys actually felt good about me, and then I showed them how bad of a shot I was after that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that can go wrong. But on those there's things. so much too in the field, you know, as far as what the area looks like in the terrain and, and like you said spooked animals yeah. and you know finding you your climb, comfortability and, range and your max is yeah. kind of important and you as climb these mountains for 12 hours yeah okay all these people on, on that particular hunt i had seven guys besides myself with me yeah. uh you start weeding them out pretty quick when you when you're climbing yeah um, and i had seven guys with me on that hunt and it's it's a lot of pressure because i mean that's a lot of work you get up there and you For mess that shot people, up, man. Man, you're doing it again and again and again. And like, I'd like to be cocky and arrogant and tell you, you know, oh yeah, I could do it again. Man, when I came off that mountain, you didn't want to go back up. I, I wouldn't want to go back up. I, I mean, and the listeners can't see me shake my head prophetically, but he, <laughs> I, I did not want to go back up there. Yeah. Like I just, uh, in the, in fact, when I got back down, I told sorry. I was like, you know, 
that was that was probably the hardest hunt I've ever done, uh-huh. and it was probably single-handedly my greatest hunting accomplishment ever. And I'll go ahead and straight out tell the listeners I didn't bring the ibex down. Yeah. Um, I shot the ibex. It dropped. I got almost to it. It was a 500-yard shot. I hit a little low and a little back. The ibex did drop. It took me an hour and a half to go the 500 yards from where I shot it to where it was. Literally 20 yards before I get to there, the ibex jumps up, runs up the mountain. Yeah. Um, we build a fire. Um, we have that conversation about we're going to spend the night. Yeah. Um, nobody has any sort of gear. I mean, it's probably going to be a dangerous night. Yeah. Um, they ask me, you know, what do you want to do? And, you know, my response naively was probably stupid, yeah. whatever it takes, yeah. you know, whatever we have to do. You know, I'm ready. I'll stay here. Um, so we wait a couple hours. Um, do you have an interpreter when all this yeah, is going on? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. kind of. <laughs> I like the kind of. Yeah. So we wait a couple of hours and finally my interpreter, which is also my guy, he just, just looks at me and says, Jason, has to, he goes, I think we got to go down. Like we tried to get up to where the Ibex had, had fallen down again. Rocks are falling on us. Yeah. Um, it's nasty. Um, so I was like, okay, so we'll go down. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, how, how am I going to get back up here? Because, I mean, I have a flight out the next the day after that. So, I'm, I mean, I got one more shot and to go back up there. And you still have how long to get back yeah, to wherever and, the and, airport Yeah, is. and I've got one more shot to, to get up there the next day. And, I mean, I don't want to go back up there. But, I mean, it is what it is. So, as we're coming down, man, the, the weather kind of breaks. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this is not going to be a problem. Well, little did I know it hadn't broke up top. And we get down to the bottom. Uh, the visibility is getting pretty bad. I'm able to see where my ibex is on the mountain. It's laying, you know, at probably now 15, 2. Uh, as far as elevation. So uh, I can see where it is. It's laying there again. Obviously not going anywhere. And um, so the next day, you know, the plan is to kind of go back up. And, and those guys are telling me, you know, we'll go back up and get it. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, you're going to go back. I'll stay here. But, you know, you, you're fighting yourself with that. Like, no, I need yeah. to go back. So um, the weather ended up being really bad the next day. So we couldn't go back. Yeah. And uh, I mean, to this day, my Ibex is still sitting up there because, you know, this is their winter. Um, I'm hoping that a um, that a snow leopard doesn't drag it off. <laughs> I need it. Yeah, but uh, you know that? that's got to be a rough feeling for you, just to kind of not know what's going on until you get your animal back. You know, it it is, and um, and they'll go get it. No, I, I, but it still sours it. Yeah, it de- it definitely sours it because you know, in my mind, I'm like, man, I, what could I have done differently? I don't um, think there's any. In a situation like that, what could... Yeah, you know? I mean, and, and I'll tell you what I could have done differently. I, there just wasn't enough time. I was on the animal. I was dead steady. This shot was in my wheelhouse. Um, I used that 6R ABS 2400 rangefinder. It's it's with my it tight end. You no, know, it's not Bluetooth. Oh, okay. I just It tells me like 6.8 clicks. It's MOA. I got a Swerve C-scope. I just turn it 6.8 clicks. Okay. I always round up. Yeah. So in this particular case, I think it told me uh, 5.6. I rounded up to 6. I'm ready to take the shot. The guys are like, no, no, come here, come here, come here, come here. So I move around to the other side, and I'm ready. Ibex looks like it's in the same spot to me. Um, I take the shot. Ibex drops. So I, but something, it's, it's like when you looked at that sheet. Yeah. Something just wasn't right in my mind. So I, I got my rangefinder up and get, click it again. This says 7.4. So, you know, now I would have probably clicked to eight. Yeah. So now instead of a six click, I'm an eight click. And, you know, so I ended That's up. That's a big difference. It is. And that Ibex had moved just a little bit back on, on another little knob. Yeah. And I just didn't know the difference. And, yeah. you know, I didn't have time to take, you know, my rangefinder out of my pocket. And, and really it probably, um, you know, a little bit irresponsible of me not to do it. But I, 
I didn't realize it didn't move to that next deal until, you know, after the shot. And I ended up shooting a little low. It was moving right to left, so it was a little low, a little back. But again, I was steady. It was in my wheelhouse. And you I hit mean, him. I hit him. He dropped. Yeah. Uh, but it, it does taint it. It does sour it a little. I mean, but you go back to the Blandford Uriel. I mean, that wasn't my – it was a 600-yard shot on the smallest sheep there is. Yeah. And, I mean, not the greatest shot placement. But I mean, it did the job, but I mean, it's not just, it's not something I'm super proud of, yeah. um, you know, and, and you learn from those things. Um, I made a calculated uh, assessment of, of what was going on there because there were so many people in the hunting party. Uh, we'd been chasing these things for, you know, a day and a half, and I, I just didn't see with that many people getting closer to them. And, and you're not gonna, over there, you're not gonna be able to decrease the hunting party. I mean, this is a big deal for them to be involved. Yeah. I mean that IV for Sawyer in the hospital was 10 cents. Yeah. So it just shows you, I mean, if those guys get a hundred bucks to go on the hunt with me, whoever's paying them, and that's a big deal. They're, you're not telling them they're not coming. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, I think you learn from those cases, uh, those times and, and on the Ibex and Himalayan, I, you know, I knew something was off, like, but it was after I pulled the trigger, you know, and, but you know, I learned from it and um, not to plug them, but Swarovski, and there's some other companies that have them. Swarovski has a scope that's uh, that range finds inside the scope, and I was against that scope when it first came out. I was like, no, I'm not gonna do it. But after that Himalayan Ibex hunt, you know, it's probably, you know, it might be the right choice for me, with, especially when you know you're climbing those mountains. You don't know where the Ibex are coming from. You don't know when it's gonna happen. Um, you know, I don't have the luxury of having someone there to you know spot it and you know range it for me. It's you know I've got to do. It. I mean, the cameraman can't do it. He's busy. Yeah. You know, and I can't hand this rangefinder to you know some third world country guy that you know doesn't even know how to turn on a cell phone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I you know I probably would do something like that just because of the style of hunting. That's not for everyone. Yeah. I mean, but I, you know, I definitely think a scope like that would have benefited me greatly because I would have pushed the button again no matter what. Yeah. And just said, no, you know, right there. yeah, just what's the range. But there was and no way. I mean, beautiful. I'm a foot deep in the snow. I mean, my legs are, you know, covered. And I mean, trying to get to the range finder. And more, more importantly, I didn't even realize the Ibex had moved to the next little yeah. knot. Yeah. So, but it, again, like you said before, it's, it's learning experiences, and I, I learned from that. And, you know, and we're, and we're going to show a lot of that. Again, I can't show the Ibex on camera because we just don't have it. But we have some of the, me climbing and huffing and puffing on there. And, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we're going to show the Blandford Uriel. And, 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 we, and, and that's the thing about the experience. And we we want to show the experience of it. We don't want to uh, recreate it. Well, um, and we make mistakes. We what, mess you're up. what you're talking about right now, how many people have injured an animal, thought that it was dead? and walked up on it and it's run and there's nothing like you couldn't get a gun around fast enough to take a shot yeah. there's nothing you could do yeah i can to, think of two to prevent instances, that I mean, like, animal that happened from taking off yeah. you know what i mean and, and that happens if well, there's a hunter that it hasn't happened to yet it's a yet it's a matter of when's it gonna happen yeah, it'll I mean, happen to everybody everybody and i mean i'm gonna miss yeah i'm gonna I miss mean, I went through a streak there where I was like just on fire. I mean, I was just like, I mean, I probably got too cocky. Yeah. But, but I mean, a miss Humbling will humble moments, you quick. Um, and I'm and I'm gonna miss. And I mean, I, you see it show in <coughs> camp for you. And you know, a, a valid question a guy to ask a hunter is how long, are you, how far are you comfortable shooting? Um, you know, I've got a probably an unconventional answer because mine's 50 or 60 yards. Um, and people are like, what? Well, I mean, if I go in there and I tell you, you know, I shot this animal at a thousand yards, well, and I miss at 200, what kind of an idiot do I look like? Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm telling you, I'm capable of missing. 
yeah. a 50 yard shot. Yeah. You know, I'm capable of making I've, a I've, seven or 800 yard. I've, I've missed more sub 100 yard shots. Oh, you take them for granted. Than, I, than I've hit. Yeah. yeah. And I've hit more 300 to 500 yard shots. Yeah, than, and I would say three to 500 is probably my highest percentage of accuracy. Yeah. And, and probably some of that has to do with just, you know, being mentally ready for that shot. You know, yeah. you know controlling your breathing, you know, I pull the trigger in between a breath. Yeah. Um, well, I used to do a lot of weapons training yeah. back, you know, a long yeah. time ago where you go over a lot of, yeah. you know, trigger work. Yeah, and, and, I, and I feel like if I concentrate on that kind of stuff, then it kind of takes my mind off, hey, I'm about to shoot this huge animal yeah. and my heart rate's jumping out of my meditation, shirt. Meditation, Yeah, and it it's just, that whole... it's a calming effect for me to Absolutely. think about my breathing, uh, you know, bullet placement. Um, when I used to do pistol shooting from a holster, mm -hmm. for me, getting into stance, bringing my pistol up and getting on target was the most meditative. Mind you, I'm sitting... Yeah. In a line, in a firing line of Every, 10 guys. Everything else, all hell breaking loose. Yeah. yeah. But it's the most silent place that my mind will get yeah. because of the ritual. Yeah. Right? And finding that meditative point. And I think that's how it is for me. Like, when I, and I, I love to take shots lying down. Uh, when I, when I hit the ground, that's, that's where that point starts for me. Yeah. You know, it's like I go through my <laughs> system of, yeah. of, of what I'm supposed to do. And I mean, man, I've, I've screwed it up. I just got through telling all your listeners that I'm a terrible shot. Hey, so for me this year, I mean, the biggest three pointer of my life, I was hunting in, uh, in Utah this year and it was, it was bigger than the four by four I shot last year. 20, yeah. 20, oh, wow. It was probably 28, 29 inch deer. And it was super awesome, just the way that the horns yeah. came out, the antlers came yeah. out, right? And for me, a 500-yard, I'm confident. Yeah. I'm confident on a 500-yard shot. I'm laying down rock solid. I can't fuck this shot up. Buck is laying broadside, <laughs> looking at me. Yeah. I mean, not looking at me, but looking my way across the valley. I couldn't have been more rock solid. I pulled the trigger, first shot, I missed. Okay, Buck just stood up and was yeah. standing there, right? And I, I, my, there was a little bit of wind, so my bullet drifted, drifted. about six inches to the left yeah. of the deer. Compensate, take my next shot, and I missed by like an inch and a half. And you can see, yeah, I can you can, see, you can see where it's going. I can see it through my scope. Most humbling shit of my life. <laughs> You know what I mean, and that's but that's exactly what yeah, you're talking about. Is. We miss, man. Yeah, it I've, happens. In Tajikistan on the ibex, I mean, a good friend of mine, Mark Peterson, was with me on that hunt. And I miss an ibex. It's about a six or seven hundred yard shot, and my bullet drift was like four and five feet. I oh, mean, wow. that's it was the wind was blowing that hard. Wow. And I think now they're mining that mountain for copper. I shot it so much. Really? So they're going in there trying to get the copper out of what I they're left. They're probably gonna find some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's now it's it's financially beneficial because I put three boxes of shells on that mountain. Right. I, it wasn't that much, but like it was I, it was four or five shots. And the joke was when I got back to camp was do I need you know to borrow like someone's gun because I'm out of ammo. Yeah. But I ultimately get one at a different I got spot because I, I ran them off. all over mountains. I yeah. get it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's def I think it's being mined today. So if somebody wants to look on Google Earth just outside the Hot Springs camp, I'm sure they'll see them mining for the they'll copper. They'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> What's been your craziest adventure story out on one of these hunts? Kyrgyzstan is probably... And what happened? Man, they're all a little crazy. Are they? <laughs> but 
this one in particular, we arrive at this uh, at this base camp, uh-huh. and, and it's a nice base camp. I mean, it's a house. Um, a lot of uh, so there's a lot of the Chinese guys are there, or, or people of Chinese descent that that guide in the the climbing season. They guide people climbing, like Sherpas climbing the mountains. Oh, and they, I get there to this camp, and they tell me you're going. 20 kilometers, you know, up the glacier on horseback. Um, and the place there has a generator to charge the camera batteries, okay? Now this is like completely broken English. <laughs> I say on camera, so we're just going to some hole in the wall, okay? Well thinking, you know, we're just going to somebody's little, you know, four wall house and that's where we're gonna stay. We literally go to a hole in the wall. Like, I just, like, I guess, you know, I was clairvoyant. I realized, hey, we're just going to a hole in the wall. And it wasn't a cave. It was just, like, this rock overhung. And, you know, I, it was open on every side but the back side and the top. Yeah. Um, there's some rocks stacked up. You guys like, have a video of this on the channel. Right? Oh, yeah. I think there's a video of them making you're, fun of me. You're, are you, is it, was it, like, a hole that you're yeah. sleeping in? Yeah, so we're sleeping in this hole. And, I mean, we're we're probably at 9,000 feet, so not a ton of stuff to even burn. Were you heating up the engines on this one? With the dump? Yeah. No. Okay. No, so there, I didn't have anything to heat me on this one. I, I like okay. picked like little bitty, like these things were like tiny straw type stuff that I could burn just long enough to like feel the heat. Yeah. So. For a second. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing to burn. And I'm not going to say the company, but I took this prototype uh, 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 freeze dried food, like Mountain House, but it's a product that's new. Yeah. This company was just starting to do it. And. It was horrible. Oh no. Okay, but not, I mean, the taste was bad, but that wasn't the worst part about it. It came in a bag that's, you know, not in the final product bag. The, the bag was tall and skinny. It was thin. So once I heated it up, it cooled down real fast. But I would stick my, my fork in to get it. By the, well, no, by the time I pulled it out, because my fingers were hitting the inside of the bag, the food was getting on my fingers, and when I pulled it out to eat, it was freezing to my fingers, oh my God. like really before I could even eat it. Yeah. So, and it tasted like crap. And this is all I've got to eat for the whole time I'm there. Ouch. Besides a Snickers bar and one Coke that I've confiscated. <laughs> and uh, and Sawyer loves to eat, so you leave the Snicker bar laying around, I mean, it's gone. Yeah. So, uh, I'm in all my puffy gear. Like, I got my, my puffy pants on, my puffy jacket on, I'm in my sleeping bag. I've got my Coke in my sleeping bag, my Snickers in my sleeping bag, uh, probably one of the mics in my sleeping bag, my phone in there, everything, you know, because they're, like, there our camera batteries were lasting 35 to 45 seconds. Maybe. Yeah. Because it's cold. So it's so cold. So everything in there so that, you know, stay, like my little uh, charger for my phone was in there. And, you know, we'd, we'd been hiking that day, you know, a few, probably eight or nine miles. Uh, maybe not that much, maybe six or seven miles. So my feet were sweating already. Well, again, I mean, this goes to show that I'm just stupid. So I've got all this stuff in my sleeping bag, but my boots. Okay, my boots are outside my sleeping bag. I wake up the next morning, and for me to tell you my boots were frozen like a rock, like if you were to like get a test of just like the PSI of my boots, it's gonna be stronger than the rock. Like I cannot get these things broke loose. It took me probably an hour and a half to be able to get them on my foot. Note to self, keep your boots Keep your warm. boots in your, in, in your pack. I mean, I was running out of room in there, Ooh. but I probably could have had enough room for that. But just 
he's staying three knots um, under that rock. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to hunt two ibex on, on that trip. So, you know, I shot the first one, had huge bases, and then I shot the second one that had big, long, long horns. Um, but that cave was probably the, the coolest, the strangest, just the weirdest. But, man, it was, I mean, at the time, I mean, I probably even said at the Sawyer a few times, I mean, this really sucks. Yeah. You know, I'm freezing. Um, but at the time, it did suck. But looking back on it, it's it definitely one of the coolest. Isn't that so funny too? Is oh, pain, in, suffering, in stupid. Those definitely make the hunts better in the long run. Like I, at the time, they kill you. Six months, eight months, a year, yeah. two years down the road, you look back and you're like, God, that was yeah. fun. Yeah, and, and I think time, yeah, it. time heals all wounds. Yeah. <laughs> so that Pakistan trip, when I got down and that Sawyer asked me, would you go back up there for a mark run? I was like, nope. And uh, but today, sitting here talking to you, I'm like, man, you know, I got some unfinished business up there. You know, I need yeah. to go get that ibex or go get another one or you know, yeah. do it clean. Or you gotta go, you gotta go clean your slate. Yeah, I think it's you know, kind of like yeah. your own internal yeah, and, challenge. Yeah, and probably for for you as well, as as a mountain hunter, almost stupidly, but probably subconsciously more than anything, is we're looking for the mountain that's gonna beat us. Yeah. You know, nobody's gonna say it. But, and then, I mean, I came to that realization in Pakistan, but you're looking for somewhere that is going to test you beyond what you're capable of. Absolutely. And I almost found it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it definitely ruled out Everest for me. Yeah. You know, that pipe dream of, you know, being the first to ever climb Mount Everest and shoot the North American Grand Slam. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sure maybe somebody's done it. I don't know. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, I definitely ruled out Everest on that trip. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, and it doesn't matter if you're in Pakistan or, you know, up north with you guys or, you know, down south. Or it doesn't. I can relate to that. Yeah, lot, it's, and the spiritual aspect of it for me is, you know, I'm, I'm religious. Uh, I'm a Christian. Yeah. I never felt closer to, uh, to God when I'm at my, um, at my limit. You know, I'm trying to basically push myself to go that next step. And I'm usually praying, like, please, God, just let me, Absolutely. let me take this next step. You know, yeah. let me get there. And. And, uh, well, and, and I can relate to that in the sense, like, this year I was on a pack out, um, and it was I was just packing. Is this out where you packed out the whole elk? No, not oh, the okay. elk. This is my my mule deer pack out yeah. in Utah. I ended up shoot, and I was successful. Yeah. Killing an animal, I ended up uh, cutting up the three by three that I had shot. Threw the whole thing in my backpack and the head, <laughs> and it was two miles uphill and then another you know mile and a half two miles downhill oh wow i can't remember the the total distance the sun set and it was dark before i had my game bags back there was a foot of snow on the ground and a whiteout snowstorm hit in the middle of the pack out i can't see anything i'm completely disoriented and the only thing that i can use is the the stream bottom as my guide to where I need to go because oh, wow. I can't. Yeah, there's, you can't see anything. You can't. It's you can't see a mountain range or anything like you that. Can't, so. I can't see the you trees have no landmarks. yards from me. You know, so it was just like, all right, I know that the creek goes up. It's going to fork. I got to stay to my left. Yeah. Keep going up that until it flattens out. And then I head over the mountain to my right and keep going down. How much further do you think you walked because you had to follow the river? A lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. but like, but that's it. That's that's all. That's the only way you're gonna get out. And and 
your mind's gonna play tricks on yourself if you don't do that. Well, not only that, and the whole time it's like, you know, I've got, I don't know how, you know, Utah mule deer, mature mule deer. Yeah. They weigh a lot, you know, so I got a loaded <laughs> pack by myself in the dark, That's white phenomenal. out snowstorm. The entire time, all I'm in my head is, God, get me through yeah. this one. Yeah. One more step, yeah. okay. 10 breaths. But isn't it an step. incredible accomplishment when you get there? Dude, is it not the best? <laughs> I mean, it's four miles. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it's it, it's a yeah. small step. Yeah. But isn't it one of like the best accomplishment yeah. ever? And and I mean, we've gotten off on a lot of different things. And, and the one thing I want to leave people with that, that are listening is, and you said it just a second ago, you were successful on your mule deer hunt. On Anytime someone goes on a hunt, you know, my advice would be to define success. Um, is success going to be holding the animal at the end of the hunt where you can kind of see those snapshots to grip and grin? Yeah. Is that how you're going to define the success of that hunt? And if it is, I think you're going to be disappointed. I think uh, you're going to leave a lot of, of, of the nuggets, per se, on the table. Um, focus on all of it. There's a lot of hunts that I've been on that I did not come back home with the animal. They were a success. Yeah. Um, and they were some of the better ones. I mean, I've been on more elk hunts and not gotten an elk than I have that have gotten one. Yeah. So, um, and those were a success. But yeah. I just think that if, as hunters in general, if if our success is is defined or determined by us holding that trophy at the end of the hunt, then uh, we're doing a disservice to the animal. We're doing a disservice to the people we hunt with. Yeah. Uh, but more importantly, we're doing a disservice to ourselves and the experience of hunting. Yeah. And so for me, and, and usually when I book my time for hunts, I allot myself a minimum of 10 days, right? And and the reason why I, I do that, and I've, I've gone on hunts where I'm unsuccessful in the take, yeah. right? Yeah. I had a successful hunt, other people took, or whatever it is. Uh, but I really try to push myself through the entirety of the hunt, and it, and it was kind of like what you're talking about, finding that mountain that's going to beat us. Right? It's out there. It's out there. It's, and nature, I mean, nature can beat us yeah. any step of the way. There's no doubt. You know, absolutely. So, for me, it's, and I go back and forth with this, and I've had a lot of conversations with people about this. There's always the success. Every hunt is a success for me. Because right. you have the opportunity to do it. The opportunity to do yeah. it. And I've been fortunate enough to where I've hunted my entire yeah. life and kind of learned and understood. And I've gone through, you know, when I started hunting, I think it was 11 years before I had my first animal-taking yeah. successful yeah. hunt. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's a grunt, man. It All is. All of it is a grunt. And, and if, if, if you're focusing on... I mean, if you're focusing on you being successful by holding that trophy, yeah, then you're cheating it. Yeah, you're so cheating it. And <laughs> but everybody wants everybody. Everybody wants, wants instant gratification. They want it now. Be. They want it before day three because they don't want to know what they're like after hunt day. Yeah. They don't want to know if they're gonna be able Let's to make it on day, day four. Nine. Yeah. Let's talk about day ten. Yeah. So just you know, Let's mentally be mentally 14. prepared. Yeah. Go into it thinking it's gonna be a grind. <laughs> And man, if, if you get lucky and shoot it on day one, I mean, count your blessings. Yeah. You know, but again, a day one sheep is sometimes the same thing, man. It just yeah. cheats the experience. Yeah. And I mean, but I'm not passing one up on day one. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, now I'm going to ask you this because I, I had a hunt with the guy this year. And we had that conversation. 
you know, yeah. don't pass something. Oh yeah, that, on, that's the deal. Don't pass something on the first day you shoot on the last. I mean, that's right? you know, that's what everyone says. Because we were on day nine. Yeah. And and he had passed. Yeah, don't pass on day nine what you shoot a, on day ten. <laughs> he passed a legal ram. Yeah. And he got so mad at me, and he looked at me, and he was like, "I'd throw punch you right now." <laughs> But, like, he did. I mean, obviously, he did. Yeah. And it was all because I love the guy. And, yeah. and, you know, he's a brother to me. Yeah. You know, but, like, getting to sit there and, okay, we just, we yeah. just walked past the ram. Yeah, legal ram. It That's happened to me. On day nine, and it's the first legal ram we've seen yeah. on a 15-day hunt. I had one in Alberta on day one. Yeah. And uh, 20 days later, I was back at home with no ram. And you passed. I never saw another league one. But you know, Alberta. Alberta yeah, and 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 system. you know, a lot of people like Brendan told me like, if it's a legal ram, take it. And yeah. I had this moment of lapse, and, and the outfitter was the outfitter's awesome. Yeah. I mean, they hunt up there near you guys uh, in Alberta. Uh, I, I know uh, Jake knows Rob well with Scout Creek Outfitter. He's just a great guy. Yeah. But um, we had a great conversation about it, and you know, it would have been my slam ram. And uh, are you a three quarter right yeah, now? Yeah. So he's just like, you know, hey, if you. Uh, he goes, I just, he goes, for your slam ram, I just want one bigger. I, I know they're out here, so, you know, just, and man, I was motivated, even day one. Like, oh man, I'm gonna find, you know, a toad, and that's, you know, I'm gonna prove everybody wrong, you know, because Alberta's so hard, and, yeah. well, I mean, it was tough, and, you know, I'm, I'm going back again this year. Uh, they were gracious enough to invite me back, and um, I'm super excited about that hunt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I probably won't pass up that ram on the first day this time, I don't think. <laughs> so, I don't care if anybody says anything about me, uh, shooting a doinker for my slam ram i'm, yeah. I'm perfectly fine with that it now happens, i think so i mean but uh, no i mean and it gets off on a whole nother subject but uh, you know the rules up there in alberta are kind of crummy for for older rams and there was this beautiful double ram 10 year old that was just a stud next to this six-year-old tipped ram that you know was legal and the double broom's not legal because it's not full curl so um that, that, that interesting how yeah that it, it, it's not good so I, I do want to find an, an old mature ram um, I have the luxury of getting to do it you know again again and again and yeah. uh, so my advice to you know to someone doing it, it's obviously like everyone told me I mean if it's legal you know go for it and, it, and that's the ram you want take it don't but, hold out yeah so yeah it, it works both ways I mean that 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 saying of you know shoot on the first day which you shoot on the last or you know in your last client's case shoot on the ninth day which you shoot on the tenth yeah uh yeah it goes to say but i mean i've had shooter's remorse also like where i've shot an animal and I, you know what i would have been better off i felt like my hunt would have been more successful had i not taken one yeah. so just just be be uh be confident in what you do and, and, yeah. and live with your mistakes i mean I'm, I'm living with mistakes that I've left on some mountains, and and, so, and I've learned from them. For me, and I mean, I've, obviously, I've only gotten to be on, on guided sheep hunts. I've never yeah. hunted for myself for a sheep. So uh, what I can relate that to for myself is with elk, you know, and, and I look for mature branch antler pole elk, mm -hmm. right? And my, my I want to say my cutoff is 300, having never killed 300. Yeah, yeah. I've killed some nice bulls. Right. But what I won't do is I won't shoot a raghorn. I won't shoot a 5x5 five five that's borderline raghorn. Yeah. I'll shoot a cow. Yeah. Before, because. Yeah, that's just, that's just how I'll you're ingrained. I'll shooter's remorse, yeah. man. And, and, and I know that in my heart yeah. of hearts as a hunter. Yeah. That I, and yeah. I don't know what this makes me as, as a hunter. I don't know if it makes me a trophy or hunter or, or what well that trophy hunter stigma is I don't want to walk up on an elk and be like 
I shouldn't ground shrink shot, adjusted and shot this out. Why did I shoot this yeah. bull? Yeah. When I could shoot a cow. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, for sure. And and I mean, I think we learned from those those instances like that. I mean, we've yeah. all shot stuff. They were like, man, I you know I probably could have done better. I could have held out. Yeah, and to I the point. I still got eight days. Yeah, and to the point of just coming away without one. But like I said, there's yeah. been there's been hunts that I just probably would have been looking back would have been more successful had I not. Yeah. Um, or like you know Pakistan, just you know take that extra time or you know figure out a way to 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 range it one more time. Yeah. Um, but you learn from those, and and I think that for me to go around and act like I'm perfect, that's that's stupid. Um, I think for me not to show that I'm imperfect is also stupid. Yeah. So. Um, I think showing for me, I really like like when I make mistakes, I'll be I really like to to kind of be loud. Yeah, and, and most the of the time, around yeah, me and most time people are you know laughing at me and making fun of me, yeah. and it, it makes it fun when yeah. you know I do something stupid. It makes stupid. it more fun. Yeah, uh, but I also learn from those mistakes. And um, that's the biggest learning part. It is. Right? And, and, if and, I try to avoid my mistakes, how the how the fuck am I? Yeah. Excuse my language. No. But how am I gonna stay teachable? Yeah. It goes back to the first of the podcast. I mean, yeah. you, you got to be open-minded enough to learn. Yeah. Uh, you got to keep your, your your mouth shut sometimes and yeah. just listen. And um, you know, you, but. But you got to live with the decisions you, that you make. And you shoot a raghorn, and you, you know you wish you'd have shot something different. You got to live with those decisions and learn from them. And 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 hopefully it makes you you know a better hunter. But more importantly, hopefully it makes you a better person because you realize you know hey that that mistake had consequences, and these are the consequences, and I I don't want to I don't want to experience those again. Or external consequences. That's right. I don't want to experience those again. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Dead Eye Outfitters, they're a podcast sponsor. We do a Dead Eye Minute. I'm sure you're familiar. Yep. With yep. Elias and, and Brian's Absolutely. wonderful faces, and, yeah, you know what great guys they yeah. are. I love. They I got love, cool I mean, swag. They got cool swag. Yeah, and it's not hunting gear. Yeah, you know what I mean they're yeah. not trying to compete for yeah. hunting gear. So, my dead eye question for you. Oh is, no. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh yes. no. How do you? I mean, <laughs> Go as deep or or skim across the surface. Okay. You don't want to hurt like, anyone's yeah. feelings with this. Yeah. Okay. You know, as much either way. You know. I feel like anxiety's building like Pakistan all over yeah, again. Yeah, right. it's that wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At 2 a.m. Yeah. How do you think the good, the bad, and the ugly has social media affected hunting? And you don't have oh, to say man. names or call anybody out, but. Oh. And you can go, dude. If you so want to I'm fly gonna off say, the handle, no, you can fly no. Off the I'm gonna say overall, yeah. bad. Bad. Um, my second would be ugly. My third would be good. Now, I say it's bad just because, again, the social media part of hunting is pretty much, which has gotten better in some, and maybe it's just my little circle that I see it in, but like, still to this day, probably if you go and look you're gonna get more likes off of trophy photos and grip and grin photos. And I think they leave so much of the story out. Yeah. Uh, I think they give anti-hunters a lot of ammunition because they don't, that's, the that story. snapshot of you holding that animal is not gonna tell the story of conservation through hunting or, right. and, and I don't, and also I don't think you're, you know, you're beating your chest or you're constantly making posts about what conservation does to hunting. I mean, make no mistake about it conservation is a byproduct of what I do I yeah. love hunting yeah you know I'm passionate about hunting we had that conversation yeah and, and 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 I'm not 
I'm not downplaying the, the benefits of, you know, sustainable hunting and, and conservation. I'm, I'm definitely not doing that. I'm just telling you, I, I hunt because I love it. I hunt because I'm passionate of it. And, and yes, conservation is a bad well, product like for of me, that. outdoors and hunting, nature. Yeah. Nature and hunting is my church, man. Yeah, it, it is. And so the bad part about it is, is I think we just fall into that trap of everybody's got to be showing trophy photos and, and we leave out the experience that we had of hunting or or the passion doesn't really show in, in, in a photo. Um, I mean, like before the podcast, we're flipping through a book that, that you did with Kika. Yeah. I mean, some incredible photographs. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this, but only two or three of those pages actually had animals. You know, they were lifestyle shots. They were cool shots of, you know, the first one is Jake looking like an idiot, like Jake always does. So, um, but I think that's the ugly and the bad part about the social media part is, you know, everyone wants to be this badass hunter. Everyone wants this um, attention towards themselves uh, of being this awesome hunter. Um, Like we said before, we're in the Wild Sheep Foundation. There are a ton of people in here that know way more about hunting than I do. There are a ton of better hunters in here. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I, it sounds stupid, but I'm at the bo- lower tier of, of knowing. I mean, if I just if you're at the lower tier, I'm not even well, lower tier. No, <laughs> I don't believe that. I mean, I, but I mean, just look at look, look at the experience you got in yeah. this this year in guiding yeah. nine rams. Yeah. Great. Like, yeah. you caught me in a year. Yeah. You know, a season. Yeah. You know, so and and then the guides and you know, there's. You said before, the social media, the guys don't get to post a lot of those photos or, and, and they don't get to really show how instrumental they were in the success of that hunt because the hunter takes all the credit and doesn't give any to it. So I just think for me, what we're going to try to do as the experience is we're going to try to be more lifestyle photos. Uh, of course, we're still going to show you our trophies. I mean, we want to do that. But we want to transition more to uh, short video clips uh, on Instagram where it's kind of telling little snippets of the story. Um, and, and it's not, and, and there's some guys in here that, you know, on an individual basis have a lot to offer the hunting community and, and definitely should have that attention on Instagram or, yeah. or, or Facebook or any social media. Uh, I mean, a lot of names come to mind. I mean, there's some guys in here that are legit. I mean, they're, and they can offer a wealth of knowledge to a lot of people. Um, and I think there's a benefit for them to do that. I think there's a benefit for us as, as people that watch them or people that listen to them. I think there's a great benefit for us to learn something from that. For me personally, um, I think it, the focus needs to be on hunting. The focus needs to be on the mountains. The focus needs to be on the relationships. Um, well, how much do you think, with the ugly, what you were talking mm-hmm. about, and social media is easy access for anybody to have access to mm-hmm. anything. Whereas before, and, I, and I've talked about this on other podcasts, as before, the only way a non-hunter was gonna see hunting was on a sportsman's channel, Outdoor Life magazine, some magazine, yeah. right? And they would have to go to a magazine. Yeah, and, and crazy enough, or YouTube, because I get more of them on there than you could possibly imagine. Because, right? And I don't know why they watch it if they're so against it, but but having that avenue to get in front of them is, well, is now, a big responsibility. Now we have a lot of people that aren't, there's no editor behind their post. Right. There's no, yeah. and, and they're, they're not capturing but, the experience. But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not throwing stones at anyone oh, about no, that. I don't, I don't think yeah. you are, I'm just. I, yeah, I, just, I, I mean, and. You know, I make a living in in that in that world. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm really being somewhat hypocritical when I tell you that it's you know it's bad and ugly. But I, there's some good too. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a better way for us to show hunting. Um, but I mean, in a nutshell, I mean Instagram and Facebook or YouTube or whatever. I mean, 
Well, they're it's, also it, anti-hunting. Well, I know, but it's almost a little make-believe anyway, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, how many times? Ha- how long is it going to last? Well, no, Let's not just that. But when did I post a photo of a crappy day? When did I post something of a failure? You know, you look at, you look, I mean, I have zero following on Instagram or Facebook or, I mean, obviously my wheelhouse is the experience, but you, you look at that and you think, oh man, that guy's awesome. Look at what all he's got. Man, I got the same struggles as everyone else. And, yeah. and I think across the board on Instagram or Facebook, we, we all live in this like made up, made believe world. Bubble. And uh, yeah, and I think that's dangerous. Yeah. Um, I think it's dangerous for the people coming up. Um, you know, you, you, got, you got a guy like me that's showing all these success stories, one after another. And again, success is defined by, you know, holding that animal. Yeah, and there's yeah. some kid out there that just went on an elk hunt and didn't get an elk. Yeah. Well, it's in his mind, he's like, I'm not a hunter. You know, I'm not as good as Jason Price, or I'm not as good as T.J. Sanchez, yeah. or Brendan Burns, or you know any of us. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not as good as the. So are they going to go quit because we've made up this, you know, this false reality that we're successful every time of yeah. of holding those animals? And and I think. But how much work also did it take? How many failed hunts did you have as a kid <laughs> and growing up to get to the point where you're actually having? Well, I, and much, I still and I still fail. Yeah. But I've hedged my bets. Yeah. Because now I've got all this experience, or yes. I've hired a guide, or right. you know I'm going with this good guide. And or, understand that part of it yeah right? so like I said for me it took me 11 years to get my first animal on the ground 11 years that's a long whew. that's a long yeah but so if, if a kid growing up is or you know just getting into hunting is seeing all these success stories and they go out and they fail what have we taught them yeah you know so I, I, I do want us to do a better job as an industry of showing the failure Again, I, I need to do a better job. I mean, I, I laid it all on the line today. I mean, yeah. it's not something I just, I didn't have a camera with me on that Himalayan Ibex. I could have said yeah. anything in the world. Uh, but I, I think it's important for, for us to Keep have the platform. Yeah, but I think it's important for, the, for those of us that have a platform to show those failures. Uh, and, and still it was a success. I mean, it really still was a success, but to show that, you know, you know, I didn't bring that animal down or, or, you know, I missed or, you know, I was out there for 20 days and I didn't get a bighorn. Or, I, I think it's super important. And, and with the bighorn film we have coming up, hopefully I get one this year and we can tie all that together and show, you know, the struggle of it. And, and you know, it's not too long where people stop watching after two minutes because they get bored <laughs> of seeing me. But two and a half yeah, video yeah. Snap, so snap, it's snap, funny. Snap. Like if I go and watch everyone else's like analytics on the hunts, you guys are watching everyone else is much longer than you're watching my hunts. Uh-huh. So like you just might, my hunts must <laughs> suck. Uh, I'll try to do a better job. Uh, I have a very low retention rate. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, no, but it's been we've been super blessed to be where we are with the experience. Super thankful for you to have me on on hey, your man, podcast. I'm for you being willing to sit down. No, because that, that just gives us an opportunity to get in front of your audience. I mean, uh, you have a huge audience that listens to your podcast, and it's awesome for us to have the opportunity to have this this little time. And uh, I could not have, and I say I, because it's, it's the completely wrong word, but we could not have done what we've done to this point without guys believing in us or sitting down and doing a podcast with us when really we don't. You know, I mean, yeah. how interested are your listeners going to be listening to, to me talk about stuff? You know, I'm interested. Yeah, well, hopefully, some, <laughs> hopefully, one other person is, so it makes two. But, um, you know, I, 
we couldn't have gotten to this point without that. We couldn't have gotten to this point without some really incredible Support. people behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, I've had some great camera guys, I've, phenomenal editors. Uh, these people have come almost family to me. Yeah. Um, I've had some outfitters that have been super gracious to allow me having hunting opportunities. Um, my sponsors at the very, very beginning that that bought into what I was doing when they absolutely should not have. I mean, they should they should not have. Who were your sponsors and, uh, in the beginning? Well, everyone that I have today. Yeah. Uh, they, they pretty much. Um, Drop I them, man. You can. I don't care if anyone's. <laughs> no, I mean I've them. had them since the very beginning. Yeah. I mean you're talking like guys like. Uh, one comes to mind like really quick is Red Rock uh-huh. Precision. They're there in Utah. Uh, they make a phenomenal rifle. Uh, I was turned down by a huge gun manufacturer that makes an awesome gun. They do. Uh, we're working with them now, but but as well. But just me personally, the Red Rock guys. I mean, man, they believed in me when they shouldn't have. Um, the Wildlife Gallery. Uh, they believed in me when they absolutely should not have. Uh, WTA. And I mean, Wild Sea Foundation. Um, Grand Slam Club Ovis. Uh, I'm looking and, forward to that. Yeah, and I'm going to end up leaving someone out, but I mean, all those people believed in me. I mean, they believed in my platform and not necessarily me individually. I, you got and guys how like. How paramount is that to you in carrying the torch? Yeah, and it, it, it on your is. Journey, I mean, you, Trigicon. I mean, I don't use their if product, they sponsor the show. They're building us up yeah. along the way. It's, yeah. What are we fighting for? Yeah. Kuyu, uh, I mean, from the very beginning, Cryptic. Mm-hmm. I mean, those Cryptic, I wear Kuyu. You guys know that. Yeah. Butch Whiting at Cryptic is, is a very good friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, Dustin at RMP Rifles, he sponsors the show. Um, and we have all these competing guys. It works on the channel well. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I've left people out. And, yeah. and I mean, I'm super appreciative of, of those people as well. But um, it's it's been an incredible ride. I think this next year is going to be a defining moment for the experience. I mean, we want it to be a channel, not a show. Uh, so it's going to be a lot more diversified. Um, we got a conservation experience coming that is like super cool. Uh, it's next level uh, videography. It's, it's going to fall in line kind of There's way our hunts are. There's a lot of cool conservation work coming it, up. It's, it's really, really cool. Really um, and um, no, but I mean those sponsors, they, they should not have done that, and they did, and, and, and they're benefiting greatly for it today. I mean they've got a platform with a lot of eyeballs. We've been yeah. we've been really 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 lucky. And I hope all your listeners go to check it out on YouTube. Um, how, well, the, how can people look So just up? go to YouTube, type in The Experience. Uh, it's usually the first one that pops up. Uh, Instagram, we're Hunt The Experience. Uh, and I have to apologize. I'm not very active on Facebook. Uh, we do post. We uh, mirror image. We mirror post from Instagram to Facebook. But Facebook, I think, is just The Experience. And your YouTube channel, I mean, the, the videos that you guys have are yeah, phenomenal. Videos. And thank you very much. We try to we try to do those about a, every three weeks. It doesn't yeah. always work out like that. Uh, hopefully this year we, we move it to every two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and coming soon we could be dropping multiple per week. Yeah. So that would be cool. Yeah, it's just really really cool content. We hope people come there for like any kind of hunt, any style of hunting. I mean, yeah. like we're equal opportunity hunters. Yeah. We don't discriminate against anyone. I mean, like Texas whitetail hunters or hog hunters or you know Africa hunters that use guides or DIY guys. You know. We don't care. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it's if it's a legal hunt and it's a cool experience and it's something we can showcase, then you know we're going to do our best to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Right on, man. Yeah. Right on. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Taking the time out of your day at one of the most difficult events to try to pull <laughs> people away from the. It's a cool event, though, insane, isn't it? Insane. It's so cool. Dude, every single like you walk around the corner and it's just like every time I've looked around, I've just been like. 
I know. I'm I surrounded mean, by some of the best sheep hunters. Yeah, it's, and it's super tempting the because there's there's so many opportunities to hunt sheep. Yeah. And 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 to plug wild sheep. I mean, they've been a sponsor since the beginning. But I mean, man, they're a big part of of, of why we have this interest in sheep hunting. Yeah. I mean, the Less Than One Club is phenomenal. Uh, it's a really cool platform. Wild yeah. sheep does a lot of things, a lot of good things about keeping sheep or putting and keeping sheep on the mountain. Yeah. And um, I'm super happy to be a part of what they're doing. Yeah. Right on, so, man. All right, man. Thank you very much. But, well, really oh, quick. Oh, we got something else. One more. It's not one of those one anxiety more. questions, is it? No, no, <laughs> okay. no. What's your favorite piece of gear from this last year? Favorite piece of gear? And then camera equipment, anything. No, I'm anything. good. I mean, so. Just like. Man, it, 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 it sounds. It no matter what. So, um, I absolutely love the katana jacket that Kuyu just came out with. Uh -huh. it, it's it's a lot like the Yukon, not quite as thick, a little lighter. Um, so easy to put in my pack. The rain jacket. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's what I used in BC. Yes. That's what I've used yeah. since it came out. So easy to put in there. Um, a little lighter than that Yukon. I mean, I probably wouldn't take it like brush busting on horseback, but Oops. yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the Yukon's going to be a little bit more durable yeah. than that. But, um, and next to that, I mean, the one thing that is always in my pack, like, no matter where I am, I don't care if it's in Mexico and it's 80 degrees, I always have, um, it's the super down, but I, I call it the puffy. I always have my puffy jacket and my puffy pants and a dry, an individual compressed dry, dry bags pack. in the bottom of my pack. All day, dude. Always have it. I so, so I always have my puffy and a dry bag and then I always have my rain gear and a quick yeah. accessible pocket. Yeah. I, I individualize everything in my my bag and in individual and dry bags. And how important is that though? It's just easy to grab and also Man, I'm lazy sometimes, uh -huh. so like, you know, horseback especially, yeah. or, or you're hiking. The last thing I want to do is stop, put on some sort of cover on my backpack, yeah. you know, so everything's in dry bags in my pack and I can just go. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't worry about it. It doesn't really matter that much if no. your pack gets wet. No. Or if you dump off and do a river or something. That's right. So I just, I, I keep everything in there, but the puffy, and, and I just started adding the pants this last year. The pants are just. And, and the reason is, is because like the Pakistan trip, I mean, that night, had I stayed on that mountain, I was relatively confident I'd have been okay because I could have put my puffy jacket on, my puffy pants on, my, my katana over the top of all that. Yeah. I'm and, really know, excited to good. see how their new, their new line is going to... So the new, is it called the Kutana? No, no, it's, it's like the, the... The bibs? The bibs. Okay, so jacket. it is still called, it's called the Kutana Extreme. Or oh, okay. Kutana, so I actually used that gear in Tajikistan. Right. The prototype gear. Yeah, when it, it was like, come, it I is, remember when it, that... It is awesome. It's stuff. really good stuff. Now, I used it with the Yukon shell. Yep. Uh, now it has the Kutana shell on it, so it's a little bit more flexible. Um, definitely a piece of gear that, that I'll have on uh, extreme, like you know, a muskox hunt, uh, a brown bear hunt. Man, that's probably the best gear that you could think of on a brown bear hunt. Uh, polar bear, uh, anything up north when it's going to be cold, where you're not going to be doing a lot of moving. White-tailed yeah. deer, uh, Kyrgyzstan, obviously, Tajikistan. I, I used it over there before, you know, in the prototype stage. So, yeah, awesome. Awesome. Awesome gear. Right on. Right on. That's good stuff. Yeah. Well, again, man, I All appreciate right. Thanks it. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. 
You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.